are listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I am your host, Brandon Harper. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job with lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. And today is January 23rd, 2022. If you remember last week, I told you I would be here this week. And here I am. Didn't do anything in between. For reasons I'd rather not disclose on the podcast. It just has to do with one word. Guests. So, I'll go into the detail for that some other day, but not today. Thanks for tuning in to the only podcast on the interwebs that has virtually nothing to do with the title. Like I said, I've got tons of opinions, so I come here to get them off my chest. Chances are you'll agree with some and you won't agree with others, and I'm okay with that. If there's one thing we could all do better, it's to learn to disagree without being disagreeable. And if there's one thing you'll know about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. Without further ado, sit back, relax, and let me hop in the left seat for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. You know what's frustrating? You know what's really, really frustrating? For me, for me anyway, is I'm trying to record a podcast and I hear background noises like dogs barking outside and people yelling on their phones that I can hear through walls. Like, I don't know why. I guess I'm just getting to be an old, old man. But little things like that just grind on me. And (laughs) I don't think it's ever going to get any better. I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm becoming less patient as I get older. But I'm working on it. I'm working on trying not to let the little things bother me that shouldn't. The things that I can't control, try not to let those bother me. It's still really tough, though. It's still tough to record a podcast when you can hear dogs barking outside. may seem like a small thing, and if it is, go try it. But you didn't come here to listen to me whine, although that's kind of what I do every week or so. But if you'll remember from last week's episode, I ended with telling everyone to go research the Strategic Competition Act. Now, I hope everyone did it. I know that everyone hates homework, but this is a learning experience, and hopefully you went and read about it, and you formulated your own opinion. And so you've come back to listen, you've now got your opinion, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I've been reading all about this, I know what I think, I sure hope I agree with Brandon. No, I'm just kidding, maybe you don't think that. But hopefully you have formulated your own opinion. That's what I hope. And then if you disagree with me, then that's fine. It's just an opinion. We're allowed to have different opinions. It's okay. It's okay for you to think someone should take a shot. It's okay for someone to think they shouldn't take a shot. It's okay for you to think you should wear a mask. It's okay for someone else to think they shouldn't wear a mask. All right, I'm ranting. Back to the Strategic Competition Act. So if you read, which you all did, of course, you'll know that the Strategic Competition Act was introduced last year. And its whole intentions is to give chip manufacturing companies and these tech companies a leg up on China. And the first thing I thought of was this is so ironic. Like why I'm really I'm really trying to say like less. I apologize for. So every time I say it I'm probably going to stop and correct myself just to help me not say it. So just just be ready. But there's quite a few things that I thought about this act and then I went and read more and more of it and 
My first thought was, wow, this looks like something that would have been written in the Vietnam era to piss off everybody at Vietnam. I'm not going to read any excerpts or clips from it. I want you to go do that. But I, I read it and I thought, man, this is clear information either to bring to light what China is doing or to piss us off at China. And maybe it's both. I've been saying for a while that I think we're about to start seeing propaganda to piss us off at China. Now, how do I feel about that? Where we're at with China right now is they need us and we need them. We buy all their crap. They sell us all their crap. So if we want our crap, if we want it cheap, we got to buy it from China. China wants to keep making money. They got to sell it to us. So there's that right now. China has the ability to produce things, some quality, some not so quality, at a low price. And so our leaders of this country and their infinite wisdom have looked around and go, hey, wait a minute, China's kicking our ass. What are we going to do? Well, why are they kicking our ass? Uh, They just make things cheaper than us, I guess. I don't know. You freaking idiots. You put regulations in place that caused production to move to China. The Chinese didn't come over here and say, we want to build all your stuff. You build your stuff with China, China number one. You come to China. No, we sought them out and thought, dude, they can make stuff for way cheaper. It's now cheap to ship things. Okay, why can they make things for less? Because they have fewer regulations. They don't have a minimum wage. Now, chill out. I don't want to hear the, you can't take away minimum wage. I don't want to hear that. I'm just telling you why it's cheaper to make things in China. They don't have a minimum wage. They don't give a crap about the environment. They'll do whatever they need to do to make things cheap. Because we have the opposite of that. We want to pay people tons of money, which is fine, whatever. We want to take care of the environment. That's great, whatever. There's always a cost to doing these things. And since they don't have these additional costs, they can make things for less. So here we are figuring out that China now has access to all of our patents, all of our information, all of our technology, and we're figuring out that they're using it to beat us in business. So what do they think the solution is? To give money to tech companies so that they can be competitive with China. And if that doesn't strike you as the most preposterous solution or the most ironic solution, it would be like building a fence to keep your chickens in, like a little pen. And then you... After a while, think to yourself, wow, these chickens, they really need to go out. They need to get out of this little fence. They need to, to be in fresh grass. They need to get to fresh bugs. They, they need to just move around some more. But I built this fence. So what's the solution to help to get the chickens access to the fresh grass and the fresh bugs? Well, simple answer would be cut a hole out of the fence. Take the fence down. But no, no, that's not the solution to the government. The government says, well, we're just going to take extra money, take some more money, and we're going to build a ramp so the chickens can just walk over the fence. But, uh, but yeah, that kind of defeats, defeats the whole purpose of the, of the fence. Well, yeah, we know. <laughs> How silly. How silly is this? We create regulations. We figure out a way to round them to still be efficient. And then we decide, well, we're pumping too much money to China. So now let's just let people do business here and we'll, the government will make up the difference. If I've said it once, I'll say it a thousand times. The government subsidizing businesses is normally not a good position to be in. 
It's just like the parents who buy their teenager a car. And you know what they can do? They can take that car away at any time. And this is the same thing that happens when businesses start relying on the government. The government may one day say, well, we're not paying that subsidy anymore. And since the business has been propped up on it or relying on it for so long, now they go belly up. I mean, look at the farming industry. They are subsidized beyond belief because we felt the need to keep the farmers around. I'm a fan. I'm a, I'm a proponent of letting the market sort itself out. Whatever we need to do to meet our food supply, we do it. We don't need to pay people to not grow crops. I'm sure some of you didn't realize that. There's a, there's a federal government program that pays you to not plant in your fields. And they say, well, it helps the soil recover, and it does all this, and it does that. Yeah, yeah. But you know what else it does? It keeps the U.S. prices artificially high because there's less supply in the market. I wonder if there's a book out there that just breaks down the entire situation of the country in regards to subsidies and what businesses are getting subsidized and throws a projection at what the world would look like or the U.S. would look like without all these silly subsidies. So... That's how I feel about the Strategic Competition Act. I laugh at it. I think it's ironic. I think it's silly. I think it shows more about our government that they're making bad decisions and that they, they only make decisions in the moment and they only make decisions that helps them get reelected. So this bill, I suspect, is going to be a bipartisan bill. And I'm about to get to the meat of it. Since both Republicans and Democrats think this is a good thing, it's probably going to pass pretty easily. And let's break that down and figure out why do they think it's a good thing? Well, obviously because of the chip shortages that we're experiencing right now. Why should we have to rely on some other country to produce chips when we're running out? We can't even keep up with our own production. Do you guys think that was an accident? Do you think that the Strategic Competition Act just randomly popped up whenever we started running out of chips? Well, well maybe it did. Who knows? But who controls all the chips that flow in and out of this country? Who's in charge of what chips show up and how many we buy? I can tell you who. All the people who make chips and hardware. The Bill Gates. Those guys. And who's going to get the money that the government doles out to these companies so that we can compete with China? You guessed right. Bill Gates and those guys. So what do I think happened? And call me a conspiracy theorist. That's okay. I'm used to it. Just remember, every conspiracy starts with a conspiracy theory. It is of my opinion that the large tech companies who have influence on the importation of chips are constricting the supply in order to squeeze us so that we feel the pain and everyone gets on board for this bill to pass. And then who benefits? The large chip makers, the large tech companies, these guys who are practically on their way to running the country. Well, what can we do about it? There's nothing we can do. We just got to live our lives. <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to get rich. I'm going to go and buy these tech stocks. Once they hit rock bottom, they're going to find a floor. If you're keeping up with the stock market, you'll know that they've been falling for the last month. And I'm going to sell out at a loss right now and probably buy back in at the bottom. Whenever this bill passes, whenever all the pain's done and the stocks can't go any further down. The government's going to pump money into them, give them money to produce chips so that we can have our car production that we need. And we're not backordered on refrigerators and people can buy washing machines again. And then the stocks are going to go back to the moon. 
That's my guess. If you disagree with me, I would like to hear why. I would like to hear why you think I'm wrong. Now, chances are, it would be tough to convince me otherwise because I spent lots of time and energy in looking into this and I formulate my opinions and it's just my opinion. It's not fact, but I'm willing to bet on it. So that should be worth something. Speaking of worth something, I've acquired a new animal <laughs> at my zoo. I say that. I've got three dogs and now one cat. The cat's name is Corn Pop. If you remember the famous Joe Biden speech, Corn Pop was a bad dude. <laughs> so I thought it would be funny to name my cat Corn Pop. Lots of people get it. Some people don't. I'm okay with that. You don't run around telling your cat's name anyway. But I just thought it was funny. It's a way for me to never forget the Joe Biden Corn Pop speech, which if you haven't heard it, just just poke that into your machine there. Joe Biden Corn Pop. And make sure you, you're not drinking anything when you're watching it because you'll spit it out all over your device. So Corn Pop the Kitty's pretty cool. He was found in a gutter at like four weeks old, covered in fleas. And so he was rescued, and so they rescued him, and they brought him to me, and now I'm a cat dad. Ugh, makes me cringe just saying that. Super cool kitty. Since he was separated from his mom so young, I felt like it's pretty necessary to, in order to make him independent, is to give him some time alone, or not always be there, or not let him have one of the dogs around to curl up against. Because he, he, he showed up loving dogs, and he likes to lie on them and, and be silly and try to play with them. Now... My two dog, two out of my three dogs are older. They don't want much to do with them. But Gypsy, they're coming around. They're going to be buddies. I can feel it. And so for the most part, he's alone. I give him access to the full, full run of the house. And he's got one bedroom that I have the door kind of propped halfway open or, or like four or five inches open so that he can get in and out of his room and the dogs stay out. And so since I'm not home most of the day, except for occasionally on weekends, he's just been chilling in the house, doing his thing, using his litter box, I've got him conditioned to, to come to the room whenever I, I take his food and kind of bang on the counter a certain way, and he comes trotting in there. And then for about 30 minutes a day, I play um, with a little fishing pole thing with a cat toy on the end. I want to make him a really good hunter. So he, uh, he really enjoys it. Every day, about the same time, he knows what part of the house we go play in, and he runs there, and he walks around and meows and meows and meows. One thing I learned about cats is that they they're meow is something that happened once, once they got domesticated. And it's just a way for them to communicate with humans. From what I understand, they don't meow in the wild. And I thought that was interesting because in my own mind, I never, I never pieced all that together. But I have noticed cats that walk around and meow to get what they want from their owners. And the owners will comply, and that reinforces the behavior. And so they keep doing it. And pretty soon the cat tells you when it wants to go out, tells you when it wants to be fed, and there's no getting around it. You have to stop what you're doing and go feed the cat or listen to the cat meow for however long it will. And since I didn't want to be owned by my cat, I decided that I'm never going to reward him for meowing. And, you know, I never actually thought that it was the meow was something they didn't do in the wild. I just thought it was something they did when they wanted something. So super interesting bit of information for you. I'll keep you updated on Corn Pop. I, um, I'm going to let him outside eventually. Uh, once he's big enough to not get picked up by a hawk, because there's some hawks around here, and I don't want him to get lost. He's still a baby. He's, uh, I guess, about six weeks old now, we're guessing. A little tiny little thing, but feisty and super cuddly. I ordered a little 
tiny little harness for him. <laughs> I never, I never once thought I'd be ordering a cat harness, but I ordered a cat harness. And the reason I ordered a cat harness because I wanted to bring him outside and put him on a kitty line, like a long line where he couldn't run away, and let him explore the backyard. And so this morning, I thought I'm going to put this little harness on him and let him run around the house and be silly for a couple hours before I take him outside because I didn't want him to be like. I can't walk with a straitjacket, and where the heck am I? And he instantly, <laughs> I put it on him, and I set him down, and he took off about 10 feet away, rolled on the ground, and started fighting to get the harness off. And he had it off in about 1.6 seconds. So it's still too big for him. I'm going to give him a couple more weeks of growth and then, uh, and then try again. So either that or I'll find a little collar and put it on him. But I will keep you posted on the happenings of Corn Pop. Something else that I've been thinking about for a while, and I've mentioned this before, but after an event that's happened, I, I feel the need to bring it up again. And this is the whole notion of hate crimes. And I think that they're silly. I think that they're unnecessary. I think that they're divisive. And they're not good. They're unfair. And here's why. So I'm sure you heard about the synagogue outside of Fort Worth or Dallas or somewhere up there that somebody ran in there, took somebody hostage and they wanted someone to get released from prison. And then there was all this drama about the FBI not willing to say the person was a Muslim and that the person was wanting to get a terrorist out of prison. And, you know, everyone was fighting about semantics or fighting about, well, why didn't you call him a Muslim? Well, we didn't know he was a Muslim and clearly he was a Muslim. But my whole point is who cares? Why don't we just say a guy broke into a synagogue and he's holding people hostage? We'll get more details when we have them. And then we have a guy. He is a Muslim. He broke in here, bad-mouthing Jews, promoting Islam, and we have him. Whatever. He's dead. I don't even know the outcome. I don't know what happened to this guy. I don't know if they killed him. I don't know if he's in custody. That doesn't matter to me. And then there's this group of people who are so mad because it was allegedly a hate crime. And what... Does it make a crime worse because someone feels some way about someone's skin color? Or can we, can we all just agree that it's super bad and crappy to break into a place of worship and take someone hostage? I mean, think about being the relative of a victim of one of these crimes. And let's just say that a guy kills a girl on the street. Let's say, say a, a white guy kills a black girl on the streets, and we don't know why. And there will be people who rush to judgment and they will say it's probably a hate crime. And let's just say that the killer goes through a trial and they decided that it's not a hate crime, but he's still guilty. And he killed her not because she had black skin, but because she looked at him awkwardly. Although that's not a typical reason that people get killed. Let's just say that it is. And so he gets found guilty, but it's not a hate crime. And so now what is his, his sentence is less even though he still committed murder, even though he still killed someone for virtually no reason, because, because he didn't kill her for the color of her skin, he gets a lesser punishment. Imagine being the mother of the girl who was killed. And now your killer's sentence, instead of being life in prison or the death sentence, is now 15 years with, with chance of parole because it wasn't a hate crime. Anytime you raise the bar, anytime you make an additional level of badness, you're decreasing the level below it. 
It's the same way with using the word Nazi and calling someone a Nazi for nothing. You know, you're diminishing the value of that. And so we need to just forget about this hate crime thing. And it's hard, it's, it's kind of a hard concept to grasp because in, in your mind and in my mind, in people's minds, they think, well, that's terrible to beat someone up or kill them because of the color of their skin. I could not agree more. It is the most retarded, idiotic, stupid thing to do, which is why it should have a harsh punishment, but it shouldn't be more harsh or less harsh than beating someone up for a different reason. Now, I understand that motives are part of our court system, and they dictate how much time you spend in prison. But this hate crime thing was just, it was recently added. It wasn't something that was, it's been around forever. So we take a crime that, that makes us feel worse, and we make a stronger punishment. And I'm just, I'm not for that. I am not for that. Because if we keep, I, I don't want to say glamorizing, but if we keep promoting these hate crimes, hate crimes, hate speech, and everything's hate, hate, hate. If everyone hates everything, then no one hates anything. And, and look what happens. You have the people like Jesse Smollett and, and all these other cases or incidents of fake reporting where, what, what was his name, Bubba Wallace, where he said, man, they put a hangman's noose on my garage door, and, they, and that means that they, they hate black people and they want to hang me. And so what happened? 15 FBI agents went down there. And they said, uh, dude, this is like a loop so you can grab your garage door and pull it down. Oh, well, yeah, but I still feel oppressed anyway. That's fine. But don't make yourself into a victim that you're not. Don't call the police and say that some guys were in MAGA hats and at 2.30 in the morning in Chicago beat you up and said this is MAGA country. I mean, how stupid can you be to think that story would fly? First of all, Chicago's not MAGA country. Second of all, most guys who wear MAGA hats aren't out at 2 o'clock in the morning. And then the guy goes on the news bawling, crying, saying, I just don't know if my kids can live in this world. <laughs> and then it was all a farce. It was all fake. It was all a lie so that he could get attention for a hate crime. You know, I don't understand these people. I don't understand the motivation. I don't know what he thought he could get out of it. What, is he just trying to improve his career? This is what these, these actors, they live in a fantasy land. They don't know what happens in the real world. That some of them, they probably they think they're doing good. They want to try to do good. I don't know how to stop them. But if we just ignore them, they'll go away. Speaking of bumbling idiots, my main man, Joe Biden, the leader of the world, basically, the head dude in charge of the United States, the freest, most wealthy, most powerful country in the globe, has something to say about beef prices. This is a two-minute clip. I'm going to try not to interrupt it, but I want you to listen closely. See, these are the types of things that don't get out there, okay? I've got a good little network of people that send me stuff, and I also know where to find these things. So just listen. Try to, try to get over the fact that his mouth is mushy, and then he can't really... You see, when I talk... You can tell where one word starts and the other one stops. <laughs> I don't even leave the free world. But when you're listening, try not to let his words run together, piss you off to where you can't listen. So let's not worry about the mushy mouth syndrome that happens when people get old and their mind starts going. Let's not worry about that. Let's just listen to the context and listen to how many words he gets wrong that he doesn't even realize it and how many words he gets wrong 
and tries to backtrack. So this is a two-minute clip. I'm going to play the whole thing. The meat industry is a textbook example on the price side. Four big corporations control more than half of the markets in beef, pork, and poultry. These middlemen that they buy from, farmers and ranchers, they don't buy from middlemen. Sell the processors. Excuse me, and sell the process. Excuse me, sell the processed product to grocery stores. That's the that's the way it works. Without meaningful competition, farmers and ranchers don't get to choose who they sell to. Or put another way, our farmers and ranchers have to pay whatever these four big companies say they have to pay, by and large. But that's only half of it. These companies can use their position as middlemen to overcharge grocery stores and ultimately families. If we can hold a second, I was just I was telling the, my colleagues earlier in my office that I was sitting in my kitchen yesterday and there's a sunroom off the kitchen and my wife was there with her sister and a good friend named Marianne and she was saying, do you realize it's over $5 for a pound of hamburger meat? $5? Well, this is partly, you know, the pound of beef today costs five bucks compared to less than four bucks before the pandemic. And here's some historical context. 50 years ago, ranchers got over 60 cents for every dollar a family spent on beef. Today, they get about 39 cents. 50 years ago, hog farmers got 40 to 50 cents for each dollar they spent. Today, it's about 19 cents. And the big companies are making massive profits. While their profits go up, the prices you see at the grocery stores go up commensurate. The prices farmers receive for the products they are bringing to market go down. This reflects the market being distorted by lack of competition. If you don't think he sounds like someone who wandered away from a nursing home, you're not being objective. First of all, he doesn't know the process. This guy knows nothing about agriculture. He hasn't spent one day learning about agriculture, sitting in some meeting, falling asleep, dreaming about his Cheerios. I'm going to give you a quick rundown on the way the industry works. How do you know about that, Brandon? You don't know everything. You don't know everything about everything. I have a degree in agricultural economics. <laughs> so here's what happens. Farmers raise cows. I'm just going to use cows for the example because we only need to talk about one kind of animal. Farmers raise cows. They feed cows. The goal of a farmer is to go sell a cow for far more than he has in buying feed or paying for the land at which the cow grazes. He doesn't sell to these big meat companies. He sells to feedlots, okay? So feedlots is a huge place where you go sell your cow and they finish them. They give them enough food in a short amount of time to get them fat and ready to go to slaughter. They don't move around much. They kind of all just eat all day long. The goal of a feedlot is to buy a cow, weigh him, give him a bunch of food, and then sell them for more money because they sell them by the weight. And so the goal is to have enough money after you feed the cow that you profit. That's the feedlot. They sell to the processors. Now, processors are the big boys. Those are the guys that buy from feedlots. They slaughter them, skin them, clean them, and package them. Now, some processors outsource their packaging or they'll sell whole cows to other guys who will take the time to cut them up smaller, put them in the packages. But the top guys, the big boys, this is companies like IBP, ConAgra, 
Cargill, Monsanto, all these big, big companies. And there are, there's not many of them. I will agree with Slide and Biden on that. The solution is to look into it and figure out what's happening. If you do, if you look at these big meat companies, they do have large profits right now. And maybe they are controlling the market. But my whole point is that this guy doesn't understand how the market works. He doesn't understand the process from grass to table. He doesn't get any of that. He doesn't know, or maybe he does know that, you know, you have other costs involved. You have to move these cows three or four or five times before they even make it to your house. That takes money from fuel. What have fuel prices done? They've gone up. So it's worth looking into. I'm not saying that. I just wanted to use this clip to slam Biden, basically, and to show the people who say, he's not slipping. He just stutters. He's fine. He can lead the country. He's better than Trump. Maybe you think he's better than Trump. That's your opinion. But we're getting to the point now where no one can deny that his brain is getting mushier and mushier. That's it. That's my whole point. My whole point is that we allegedly elected someone who can't structure a sentence and doesn't understand the agricultural process in the U.S. and doesn't understand the financial side of the agricultural industry. But we picked him. More votes than anyone in U.S. history. America. Speaking of easing regulations, I have a question. Why do we have to be so strict with veterinary medicine regulations? And the reason that I say this is because recently I've run into an issue... uh, and changing to a different veterinarian because the one that I had was terrible and it was like Walmart and no one knew your name and they didn't care what time you showed up or how long you had to wait for your appointment. None of that mattered to them. So I switched. But another part of the reason I switched was I called them and I said, look, I'm switching vets. I need to get a refill on this medicine. My dog's 14 years old. Her joints hurt her. Can you refill this prescription? Um, we can give you like 10 days, but you have to bring in your dog for an appointment. And I'm just thinking, why? Why does it matter? This is, you know what? Dogs are property, okay? I know a lot of you won't like to hear this, but if someone wanted to walk out in the backyard and shoot their dog in the head because they destroyed something, that is not illegal. There's nothing wrong with that. So why shouldn't I be able to buy medicine for my dog? It's my dog, okay? I'm not looking to buy some medicine that makes me high or turns people into zombies. Sure, we can control that. Just because we control some medicine doesn't mean we have to control it all. We can have over-the-counter dog joint medication, even if it's dangerous to your dog, even if it can shut down their liver, even if it can shut down their kidney. That's okay. It's my dog. All I'm asking for is just equip me with the knowledge to, to, to let me know what could possibly happen if I continue to give this medication to my dog without a checkup. Let me know worst-case scenario, and then leave it up to me. Is that so hard? What, what What's so hard about that? See, We live amongst all these regulations and we just walk around like zombies and we don't question them. And we think, well, it could be dangerous to our dogs. It could hurt them. Yeah, it could. It could. And the only way to make people smarter about this type of situation is to let them make those decisions. Let them them choose the wrong medicine for their dog and let them kill their dog. As long as you equip them with the information ahead of time. And then what will happen? People will learn. There will be stories about neighbors not listening to their vet and giving them medicine they shouldn't have been giving them. And people will get smarter and they'll think to themselves, well, I don't want my dog to die. There's a chance of him dying. Even though if I did want him to die, I could poison him or shoot him or do whatever I wanted to do. I don't want him to die. So I'm not going to do that. Like this whole regulating of industry to protect people from their own stupidity is something that I will bash on until the day I die. I will go at it and I will go at it 
because we need to realize that we have to be able to be free. We have to be able to make our own bad decisions, especially when it's something like owning a pet. Like They are property. They don't have rights. And I know that hurts you. I know a lot of you don't like to hear that, but it's true. Animals don't have rights. I'm not sure if they should. I don't think that they should. They're property. We could buy them. We could sell them. They can work for us. I think there are a lot of cold-hearted people out there who do very, very bad things to animals. And I think that there should be something illegal. If you do something cruel to an animal, you know, it should have some legal repercussions. Should you spend life in prison? No. Am I one of those people that, that thinks that you should be strung up and beat like a pinata if you run over a dog? No. I'm on team human. As much as I love dogs and love animals, I'm on team human. We have to have a, a rank. We have to have humans are number one. Animals are number two. Always. You know, you see these stories about Facebook. I wish I could find the guy that neglected this dog and shoot him in the forehead. Like, <laughs> What? I mean, yes, it's terrible to neglect animals, sure. But does someone deserve to be shot in the forehead? I don't think so. You deserve to be shot in the forehead for killing a human or neglecting a human. But if you put dogs and humans on the same level, you're going to have problems. Just let me, let me go buy the joint medication for my dog, please. Just let me do it. It's my dog. Speaking of dogs, here's a clip from our, our vice president. Administration say, you know what, this strategy isn't working. We're going to change strategies. Six former administration officials last week wrote that open letter urging the administration to change course, to change strategy. Is it time? It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. It's time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. It is time for us to do what we've been doing. Okay, so it is, it's time for us to do the things we've been doing. And that time is today. So it's time for us to continue on the same path. It's time for us to continue what we've been doing. And that time is today. Not, not when, not when we have been doing. Okay, you get the picture. Let's keep going. Every day it is time for us to agree that there are things and tools that are available to us to slow this thing down. And so right now we know we still have a number of people that, that is in the millions of Americans who have not been vaccinated and could be vaccinated, and we are urging them to get vaccinated because it will save their life. At what point does but, the administration acknowledge these people aren't going to get the shot? They're just not going to do it. I don't believe in giving up on people, Craig. Sometimes. You see... This woman is so stupid. She doesn't understand the question. And then she goes into this spiel about how many people are unvaccinated and how she will never give up on people. I mean, who can disagree with that, right? If you're sitting there and you're watching this woman try to speak and you hear her say something like, I can never disagree with, I can never give up with people. I can never give up on people. Who can disagree with that? I mean, I don't want to be the one who gives up on people. But you, you reach a point in time and you look around and you say, hey, we've done all we can do. Everyone's vaccinated. Who wants to get vaccinated? We're going to stop. We're going to move forward. The country has so many bigger fish to fry. This thing is so small now. Let's just drop it. But she says things like, I don't know, whatever it was. We're going to continue to do the things we've been doing. And that moment is today. She honestly, honestly, I think is very, very low IQ. I don't know. I don't know how she made it to, to wherever she was in California, the attorney general. Like I could, I could not see her winning a courtroom. 
Maybe she could with her intimidation factor and her, her belittling and talking down to people. Maybe she could do it that way. But she definitely isn't the kind of attorney or she doesn't have the lawyer mind that processes, analyzes, dissects, and rebutes. She doesn't have that. She's not equipped with that. Let's not forget, she went out of the primaries before Iowa. Before the first caucus of the entire Democratic primary, she was booted because she's not capable. They picked her because she's a black woman. Biden said that. He specifically said, I'm going to pick somebody with a black woman, probably. I mean, do you want to limit your pool anymore? What, is she the best of all the black women? I don't think so. I know she's not. Why are we picking these people? If it doesn't bother you, it should. You know, one thing that bothers me is when people start a sentence with, I'm not a racist, but why do I hate that? I hate that because why would I assume that you're a racist? If you make a statement and I think it's racist, guess who's going to tell you? Guess who's going to tell you it's racist? Me. I will tell you. So don't you worry about it. Don't worry about, oh, I'm not racist. But see, people have gotten so scared of being called a racist that they preface their statements with it. Can we just stop talking about racism unless we see it? We should call it when we see it, and that's it. You can't expect to change the way people feel. There are racists out there. I'm not going to deny that. They're not running anything. They're not making really big decisions, at least not in the U.S. There, there's no skinheads running around hanging black people. You want to talk about what skin color is killing people? You might get offended. You know what? If I was one of those people, I would preface the statement with, well, you know, I'm not racist, but there's way more black people killing people than white people. Does that mean I have anything against them? No. Does that mean I hate them? No. I'm just reading the statistics that I see. And maybe those are wrong. Maybe it's all a lie. Maybe racist hackers have changed everything. But if we want to end racism, we've got to just stop paying attention to the people who are in it for the wrong reasons. You know, there are people out there who benefit from this whole race baiting game mainly media companies, politicians, and actors. And if we can ignore the BS and recognize the legitimate racism, we would actually get somewhere. But the way we're going, we're going backwards. We're going to go backwards. You're going to see divisions of schools, businesses, states probably, and we're going to go back to segregation unless we don't stop this nonsense. You know, one thing that my mom taught me that I will never forget, it's been one of the most important factors of my entire life. I will never, ever abandon it, and I will always stick to it. And that is, you don't judge someone until they speak. That's it. You know, you can look at someone and you can make generalizations. You can have expectations in your mind of how you think things are about to go or what they're about to say or the types of things that they're about to talk about. You can, you can predict that in your head. You can share it with your friends. You can share it with people you know. That doesn't necessarily mean that you don't like that person. You're just, you're generalizing. Generalizing has aided to the progression of humanity because like generalizing things keeps you safe. I've learned not to go touch hot stoves because I've generalized when I touch a hot stove, I get burned. I understand what the color of something hot looks like. I understand of the, the heat that it radiates as I put my hand closer to it. That's all generalizing. That's seeing things and generalizing. And that's okay. That's okay. We just, it's not good to look at all stoves and say, well, it's a stove. It's got to be hot. That's kind of silly. But if you see a stove and you see heat coming off of it and you see the round element that's orange, you can say that stove's hot. I'm not going to touch it. 
You don't need to touch it to figure it out. My whole point is we should all stand behind our opinions. We should speak the facts. We should not be scared to talk about our opinions. We should do it respectfully. Generalizing is okay. Passing judgment is not okay. Not until someone speaks. Give someone the chance to win you over. You know, I remember uh, I met this guy in New Orleans. He was sitting on the curb. Well, I think I may have told the story. I had a little pocket Bible in my pocket. This guy was sitting on the curb crying. Huge, huge guy. He was a black guy. Ripped up, just cut, muscular, bald head, massive guy. Sitting on the curb. I walk up to him and say, hey, dude, what's up? He's like, man, don't even talk to me, man. I said, here, take this. And I just took the little pocket Bible out of my pocket and tried to give it to him. And he took it and threw it in the trash can. And so I sat there and talked to that guy for like four hours. And what I thought we were going to talk about and what we talked about were two very, very different things. And that was a huge lesson for me. But even though I did assume what we were going to talk about, I didn't act any differently when I first met him. I just said to myself in my own head, Oh, this guy, probably this, this, and that, probably this, probably that, probably this, this, and that, and we're probably going to talk about this. And I was dead wrong about everything. But if I would have taken the time to sit there and talk to him, or if I would have passed judgment and said, this is how this guy is, I don't want to talk to him, I'm out of here, then that would have been the wrong thing to do. And so all I'm asking is that you not hide from your opinions. Don't hide from statistics. You can still treat people respectfully while sharing those. And that's what I think needs to happen. Okay, I've got to go. I'm extremely annoyed with all these sounds (laughs) that are happening around me. I hear guys yelling in Polish. I hear dogs whining to do things. I hear lawnmowers. I hear cars. I hear honking. If you can't tell, I'm like at an eight, eight and a half, maybe a nine right now. So I'm going to go. I appreciate you listening. Go out there. Be brave. Share your opinion. Don't preface any statements with I'm not racist. Don't be a racist. Call out racism when you see it. Then most of all, keep it tranquilo. Whiskey bottles and brand new cars. Oak tree, you're in my way. There's too much coke and too much smoke.